Trigger warning, in this episode we discussed or mentioned topics such as anxiety, low moods, depression, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts and more. Just like in episode 10, you can find loads of links to UK and international mental health related organisations in the bio if you think they might be useful. Remember to take care of yourself. Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to Juicy Conversations with Julie. As always, I am Julie, I'm your host, and we are back today with a brand new episode. Before we get into today's topics, if you like the podcast or this episode, please let me know by leaving a rating and a review, as well as following Juicy Conversations on all social media and streaming platforms. In the meantime, time for me to welcome my guests, so welcome! (laughs) Do you want to start by just quickly introducing yourself and then I'll introduce the topic? Okay. So my name is Rose. I'm Julie's friend back from our undergraduate days, so it's been quite a while. If you've listened before, you might have heard me on the um, Pride episode back two years ago. Yeah, I am uh, currently in my master's. I'm also a political science um, student, just, you know, going from my academic life. And I specialize in my work mostly in human rights and equality. And yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> I think your background kind of it makes so much sense as to why we cross paths. Like you're just like, yeah, politics. And I mainly specialize in like human rights, which is like my bag, the thing I like talking about the most. But interestingly, today we're not going to be talking about any of these things at all. Um, so yeah, today is kind of a part two to the episode that I also posted a year ago, almost to the month about mental health. So I think the title was what was the title? It was an honest conversation about mental health or about my mental health. But yeah, basically you reached out to me after and you said you had a lot of thoughts on what I said and that it would be good to do a part two. Obviously we're a year later. So since then your situation would have changed. My situation would have changed. We're just going to, yeah, again, have a very casual, very candid conversation about, I guess, our own journeys, how we're doing why these conversations matter and just try i think yeah the goal is similar to the first one one it's an easy free therapy session of just letting your things out but it's also just it's good to talk about these things and help kind of lift the stigma because i think interestingly after i posted that uh that episode this is the one that i got the most feedback on behind the scenes i had loads of people message me from like school from uni people that i didn't know and that just happened to listen to the podcast say like I can't believe how relatable that was, which I didn't expect. Obviously, I thought my experience would be very unique. But a lot of people were like, thank you so much. And my worry with that was that it was going to be super triggering. So they were like, thank you so much. Like that was so relatable. That was so beautifully said. I totally got your point of wanting to lift the stigma. This has made me feel less alone. And I just thought, okay, this is it. We've we've got something. It, this This works. It's worked for me when other people talk about it. And it seems to work for others when I talk about it. So yeah, part two with you. Uh, where do we start? Should we start with just to like, yeah, how are you doing? No, I just wanted to, to make a point of what you were saying, because what I actually found very interesting was how it's very relatable for me as well. And what I found interesting, and I think we forget that even when we have friends, we really don't know what they're going through. Because what you were saying, I was like, I would never be able to say that you are scared of how you're perceived in public because when I think of Julia I think of this person that I would meet at the parties just being you know very like life of the party and I would just kind of like latch on for her to drag me into social situations (laughs) it was just very interesting to see how the people that we know have very similar experiences but we would not be even able to tell that's so I would have no idea that that's how you perceive me which is uh very interesting I think and it's one thing that we can come back to but it's one of the things with 
how I am and how I mask, I guess, whatever it is that I'm going through is, yeah, I've, I, for years, like this goes back years and years ago, I built this kind of character, this person that I thought was kind of bulletproof, but I'd been in this character for so long that I completely forgot that that wasn't one that wasn't me, but I forgot that this is how people perceive me because this is initially why this idea of Julie, this Julie that people see was kind of created because I wanted people to see me a certain way because I thought it would keep me from getting hurt. But I think, yeah, that's why it's, it's so important. I had a friend who I saw recently, we, she was telling me about, she's been having like a lot of anxiety lately and she knows that I struggle with my anxiety. So she was telling me about it and she was like, I was just telling her, oh, this is how I deal with this. Oh, you know, this happens to me, blah, blah. And she was like, it's just insane because I've known you for five years. We talk so much, yet I I would have no idea. And she told me when you posted, I did a, a graduation post last year, a year late, because when we all graduated, I was in the pits of depression, but no one knew. So I took loads of pictures, forgot about it. It was like, it was a day that was great. But then the next day I was just back in the, okay, I need to work because I need to pay rent. And then I, I'm going back to feeling sorry for myself. Um, so I hadn't posted anything about graduation. And a year later I thought, right, it's time. And my description on Instagram says something like, I was too depressed to post about it last year, but happy anniversary to, and everybody that's in the pictures basically. Um, and she told me, she was like, I read that and I thought, I couldn't have to, I couldn't have told from that day. It was like, of course, one we were graduating, but that's the thing is, I'm very good at masking it. Nobody would have had a clue. My family didn't know, my friends didn't know, but that's what makes it hard. And we can come back to that. But I think that's why it's important to talk about because for me, that's what's really healing. Sometimes it's people I wouldn't suspect talk about something, and I'm like, whoa, like. I look up to you or yeah, you're someone that I go to for comfort, like even friends or yeah, public personalities. It's just, it puts things in perspective. It makes you feel less alone. So it's, it is the kind of feeling of like, okay, we're not alone with this. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that talking about it really helps other people open up. So for me, it's a different thing. It's not a mask for me, but I'm either on and I'm on when I'm out in public mm. or I'm completely gone. So for people who don't really know me very well, mm -hmm. and they only see me in like social situations when I already have to be like good enough to even consider putting myself in a social situation, they just don't know the other parts. And like, I have a very strong personality as well. So people quite often are surprised when I'm like, I actually have a very like strong anxiety disorder. Like this isn't, I have days that I don't get out of bed. Like I have very difficult situations on a daily basis and people don't know that but i did find that once you tell people they're way more open about what happens to them and they're kind of able to find support for themselves because i've i don't know when i made that decision but i do know that i've made that decision quite a while ago that if someone asked me i wouldn't lie or that if i something was happening for example i was in geneva i'm on medication now and it's very tricky when you keep moving between countries because prescription and there is no universal medical system. You, you have to kind of sort this out every time you go. And then I don't speak French. So going to the pharmacy was an adventure in itself. And I had to take my friend was like, can you please explain this to them? And yeah. it, it came to the conversation when I had to explain what this medication is and why do I need it? And then, you know, I had a friend being like, actually, you know, I never told anyone, but I have this like, blah 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 and it became a mm -hmm. whole conversation so i do have those kind of examples when it's kind of very healing or like relieving even for a little bit that someone else is like oh yeah 
I understand. Oh, for sure. I think like there's one, there's this ease and comfort of like, I know that you know me, I know that you understand it, I know that you relate, but also it's what you say about the communication. Like, yeah, as we said, like, yeah, opening up makes it easier for people to open back up to you. And it's kind of this, you get to that level of, I'm so glad that we can talk about this. I'm so glad that I found someone that I feel comfortable enough sharing it with. I'm so glad that you feel I'm someone you can share these things with. And then there's, of course, that healing element of like, oh my God, I can't believe someone gets it. It, it. it really, truly, I think on like a human level connection, it's just allowed me to get so much closer to some people, just being able to share that element and understand that these things that we never thought the other would be going through, we do go through. It's just like, it's not the friend level of, I'm I'm allowing you to see what I want you to see, which I've had in a lot of my friendships where I've given them the Julie I wanted them to to have, even though they were people that I considered my closest friends. And then you get those people that you show the real person to because you feel comfortable and it kind of happens naturally. And that just makes the friendship, makes your journey, makes your everyday life sometimes so, so much easier. But I do think it's kind of a double-edged sword and yeah. kind of relationships with people that have at least similar kind of issues mm -hmm. because one, it's very comforting because you don't always have to explain everything. And like when some behavior mm -hmm. happens, like for example, I um, tend to avoid when I'm very anxious. So I will, mm -hmm. I won't cancel things, but I won't make plans and like I will retreat. And the issue is that it's great when people can understand that it's not me being mean or being antisocial or like not liking someone. But at the same time, if they understand you too well and they'll be like, well, I would do the same, so I will not push you. It kind of allows you to go backwards into that rut. So I do think it's, there's a danger. Definitely. But I think that comes with, I always hear this, this sentence and I, you hear it with like mental well-being or mental ill health. You hear it with like motivation in general you hear it even like within like addict groups of like if they don't want to get better they're not going to get better and i'm a bit uh, because i think it's way more complex than that but there is some truth to that of like if the person is not in that mindset where they want to pick themselves up whatever you say is probably not going to help to me yeah you have to be really careful what you say to people that understand because yeah as you say you can push them further down but at the same time when they're ready to change whatever it is that isn't working in their lives. What you've said in that moment, I don't think it always has like a devastating effect positively or negatively, but it, it is, and it comes with friendship. It comes with opening up and stuff like that. It's understanding people's boundaries, people's triggers. It's mm. it's a learning curve, but that's what we need. No, I, I still feel like the, the brand of taking something or not is on you, right? I, I don't mean mm. like, it's, it's extremely, it's amazing to have a friend mm. who understands what you're going through. So I have a friend, who also has a, not the same, similar kind of anxiety issues. And it's honestly so good when you don't have to try to explain everything altogether, but it can go to that situation if you're both in a very bad place, yeah, um, yeah, that you just sure. kind of keep spiraling each other down, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah you pull find. each other down, yeah, yeah. But in terms of wanting to get better, to get better, oh my God, I think that's super important. And again, it's very difficult to kind of explain to people because obviously not we don't want to feel bad. But mm -hmm. there are two things to it. You cannot be there for people who don't want you to be there. And that's something I personally struggle mm -hmm. with a lot because I have the attitude of like, I'm going to mm -hmm. fix this, whatever this is. And it's ruining for right. me and it's ruining for the people. But the more important 
part, I think, for this conversation. Because I think you've mentioned that you might have tried therapy a few times before it stuck. Uh, y yes and no. Short answer, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me, the first time I... I was referenced, right? I didn't go straight out of uh, my anxiety has like very physical symptoms and issues. Mm -hmm. So I had like yeah. actual sickness that was um, related to my anxiety. And I was referenced to see a doctor because they were like, it's, it's a treatment. You have to do it basically. Um, and I was in an environment that wasn't very supportive towards it. And I was not open to it. I've spent a year there. And I, like, I took bigger leaps in a month when I was at university than I did in a year when I was home. Because if you're not open to it, it's not going to work. And you hear the horror, those horror stories of people being like, I went and they just took my money and they did nothing. And it was an hour. It's like, yeah, because if you sit there and you won't tell them anything, they have nothing to work with. It's a very... For sure. I so agree. Yeah, I, um, I, I tried uh, to go to like, yeah, the therapy through our uni in my undergrad in my second year. Um, when I experienced well, what I know was now a depressive episode. But so I tried then hated it. Then la was it last year? Yeah, last year for a bit, I did I did it through the NHS. So it's called like, is it CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy or something like that, which was good, but it's, it was a five month waiting list. It was six weeks. And I honestly, the, the, the therapist I spoke to was great. Like he gave me such good advice and he helped in so many ways, but it was very practical help to like manage my anxiety on the day to day. So it helped me there and then to, yeah, manage and develop healthier coping mechanisms but I knew that I needed more I knew that I needed to go deeper and really understand myself and then literally only six weeks ago I started uh therapy so where yeah it's not CBT anything it's just like yeah general therapy and same as you like the progress I've made in in six weeks is insane because it's just I went in and I think I told her she was like okay so why are you here and I told her I was just like for many reasons but I was like I need to I want to understand myself and I need help figuring out how I can make my day-to-day -day easier. I was like, I just need your help to understand myself better. And she really got that. But I, I fully agree. Like I, um, I was talking to a friend the other day and we were talking about this therapy and she was like, how's it going? I was like, honestly, like, it's great. And I was like, it's crazy because I was fully ready. You, another thing that you hear is that it takes people a while to find like a therapist that suits them. So I was fully ready to have to go to like three, four, five therapists before I found my match. And I was like, I feel so lucky. Obviously it's not that straightforward. Like I've had, she was one of them, but I've had a few friends that have had like therapists fall asleep during sessions and stuff like that. Of course, not everybody finds the right fit straight away but she did say she was like i do think that when you really are ready and you're really wanting it it'll be easier for you to find someone that fits because you come in with the right mindset and she told me she's currently in therapy as well and i think it's the third time she's gone it's like every other time it's taken me so long to find a therapist that i felt happy with and then this time same as you i tried one and i was like oh she's great but i think it's because i was way more open to the idea of it and i went in there wanting her to help me and I was like you're so right you're so so right and 
there's there's loads of elements that will make you choose to not pursue therapy or to not pursue therapy with a specific person but i do think that especially when we're talking about like yeah mental well-being more than like mental illness and like more severe disorders when you're talking about things like anxiety and everything that can come out of it it is something where the minute that your mindset changes of okay i want this I want to get better for me as well. That's when you really see a change. And then you sit down and you realize, like, I'm doing this. It's not because I found this amazing therapist or because I found this miracle recipe. It's also because I'm truly putting myself, like, I'm truly in the process and I'm accepting and embracing the process. Like, you're gonna, you're gonna put in place what you need to put in place to get better once you've decided that that's what you want, even though it won't be an easy road. But I think that's the problem. I think it's, I don't want to lie. I think it's like with addictions, right? Similarly, the first step is admitting you have a problem. And I think that's what therapy scares people mm -hmm. so much because when you make the conscious decision to go, you kind of have to be like, I do have that problem and I want to work for it on it. And mm -hmm. we don't exactly live in a society that's very supportive of that idea. So it, it takes, I do actually think that from the moment when you think I might, it might be good for me to use some help to the moment you actually sit down and you find someone, that's not, I don't think I know anyone that done that in a day or in a week. Like it takes a very long time for that. No, for sure. For sure. I literally, as you said, that first point about like, we live in a society that doesn't make it easy. I was writing it down. <laughs> I literally wrote down taboo makes it so hard. And then I put uh arrow under taboo and i said and responsibilities like that's the thing is we obviously and i still stand by that i think the day you realize right i'm ready it's gonna take time and you need to take that time you're not gonna wake up one day and be like i'm ready and from from the day that you realize that there might be something wrong to the day that even realizing that can take a lifetime to the day that you're like right I'm ready to do something about it to the day that you actually do something about it there can be as i said years and that's due to many different things and it's not that easy it's just once you once you yourself have told yourself right i think yeah i'm gonna do something about this you've gotten through that first stage of realizing that there might be something realizing that you might want it to change and then taking the time to be ready so from that you've already taken so many steps that next step however far away it is is going to be okay, now we do something about it. And then once you've started doing it, it might work or it might not, but your goal was to do something about it. You've done it, you're there. But it is so hard to even get to that point because one, yeah, society, like with the taboo that's around mental health, it's going to be so hard for people to admit that to themselves. And then once they've admitted it to themselves, to admit it to someone else, whether it be a professional, people around them, depending on what your social identity is as well, depending on your cultural background, depending on your gender, obviously we could go into all of those intersections. It's not made easy for people at all. Mental ill health is either considered weak, lazy, whatever it is, up to you can be considered like crazy, evil. There's so much negativity connected to mental health that it doesn't make it an easy journey at all. But that's the whole point of this episode of platforms of people, of charities that speak about it, because it's like, well, 
nobody's realizing that they have an issue because you're not giving them that space to realize that they have an issue. I think that ties into, there's also an element of like responsibilities. Some people might also think like, I don't have time to look into this. I don't have the money to look into this. I don't have whatever. I don't have the tools. I don't have the privilege. That also makes it hard. But to me, that links back to the taboo, which links back to, if we want to get political for a minute, uh, capitalism and just society being built on like oppressive norms. Both of these things are linked or if you might not feel like you can talk about it because either it's not accepted or because in your life you don't you don't have the space for that but that is yeah a societal barrier that we need to break it's something that needs to be addressed because people shouldn't be anyone that wants to get better should have the space the support and the infrastructure to be able to go on that journey to getting better i think there are two things which is like there's the structure and there's the people that's very connected to the taboo. I was very, mm -hmm. very angry when I just found out the other week. Um, I have a friend who works in a medical profession and I was like, can you get this help? Can you do this? Can you do that? And they told me that um, they will not do it because that goes on the record. And in the future, if they will apply for a certain position or something that can actually disqualify them from the job. Not, not even surprised. I was shocked. Okay. I was mm. kind of like, first of all, how does it even go on your record? I don't understand that concept in the first place. And then I'm also, you know, I'm a very angry person generally in terms of society. <laughs> so for me, it's kind of like, okay, but then literally everyone should have a psychological assessment for any job. So about the taboo, like, because people quite often think like, oh, now that we talk about it, there's no more issues about this. Like, oh, it's not longer, no longer structural or whatever. And I'm like, no, there are so many ways in this. Classic. This is mm -hmm. a problem. Yeah, pointing out the problem doesn't fix it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all of the like social justice movements that we have. If exactly. the minute we went, oh, that's wrong, it just fixed the problem. Done. Wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> yeah, that, I wish, I really, we would both be way less angry if that was the way that no. life worked. <laughs> I'd be, yeah, we'd be waking up every morning thinking, ah, another problem solved. Life's beautiful. <laughs> and it's been a year for me that I've been diagnosed. I think it was March 2021. And I was offered to go on medication which i took mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. it's still very scary for me to talk about it even though it's nothing mm -hmm. bad like it, it's extremely helpful and if anyone asks me i would very much recommend that if if you recommend it there's nothing mm -hmm. to be scared of basically but um but the first thing when i was saying to my parents was are you sure about this is this not gonna impact you in the future if you want to get a job like is this you know, it was just going to be an issue, basically. It was a very, you know, a very practical take. But then I think we're lucky enough that we're kind of the first generation where we're kind of looking at things and going, okay, maybe it will impact the job I can get. But if I even got that job, wouldn't that impact my life negatively, though? Because we're calling things out. We're not just, oh, the system doesn't work, so I'm going to do what suits the system. It's like the system yeah. doesn't work while well, the system can yeah. <laughs> go <laughs> move to the side <laughs> yeah no but i think it's also the kind of in terms of things like taking care of yourself because that's what i'm feeling like, is what you've said that the therapist tells you something and magically so many things just make sense and honestly that's mm. such a relieving experience like so freeing to have mm -hmm, um for sure. but that's the thing when when it's scary to be like well maybe you won't be 
getting this job because of this but then the question for me is like would I even be able to perform well in the job if I knew I'm in a environment when they don't want me to be there um and things like that and it, it probably wouldn't be treating you very well either so exactly yeah yeah for sure it's like the it's uh like being a woman of color it's a type of question that you have to ask a lot less now like i don't think i've well not that i know because the many many jobs that i didn't get i don't know why i didn't get but <laughs> there's always been a question of like yeah putting your pictures on your cv and then it was kind of like well even if i don't put my picture like my last name gives away that i'm probably not white and it's just all of these questions of like do do i want to do this and potentially not get opportunities but then it's exactly that i was thinking but do i really want to work for people that would have been willing to not hire me just because i'm a woman of color absolutely not but it it takes a lot and it does take privilege as well to be able to be like oh actually if you're ableist, if you're racist, I'm not going to work for you. Or if you display discrimination, I'm going to walk away and find something else. Sometimes you don't have that choice, but it is a question that our generation is starting to ask, like, well, is this even an environment I want for myself? I do actually think the way the world works now, actually taking care of yourself and the kind of well-being is a very huge privilege. Um, mm, but in terms sure. of what you mean, like being for you a woman of color, the, in terms of mental health, I think there's this additional pressure because you can hide this. It's not something that's going to be public if you decide to just kind of... Be, so there's that added stress of like, what do I do? Because I don't have to mm -hmm. tell anyone. But at the yeah. same time, you know, I, something happens. But it is a privilege yeah, in the sure. first that you can... You would, like we said, like you would turn down the job. Like, would you? I don't know. I'm currently, you know, I, I don't think I am in the uh, position that I could do it. But I just happen to have a very strong personal stance for some reason on this issue. Um, but I also do, I don't think it's something you have to disclose legally. That's another thing. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is a solution, but also a problem. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of, you know, therapy, like you said, the cues for you are massive. Like the only reason I am currently um, in therapy is because I'm covered by university insurance which means that I don't pay. Um, what I, what little I do have to pay, I'm lucky enough that I have um, financial support and things like that. Like it's not, even the medication, they are not substituted. So it's also a matter of easy. like, if you choose to go on it, it's this additional amount of money you have to spend every month. Can you do it? And then if you have to really work for the money, then it's actually adding stress to what's supposed to be helping you. Like it's a very difficult decisions to make. Oh, for sure. For sure. And to, for me, from the moment I decided I want to get therapy and the point at which I got therapy, I think a year went by. And one of the main arguments was finances. It was just looking at it. I was like, there's just no way I can afford it. And then even now, yeah, same as you, I'm extremely lucky that I've got support um, from my parents for therapy at the minute. They're just helping me get started because yeah, they can and they're supportive. And they just said, they were like, if you we needed to pay for you to have an operation, we would do it. So why wouldn't we pay for that? But that's again, privilege because not only are my parents able financially to support me, they also get it. To have parents that said to me, this is just as important as your physical health, which is the main point about mental health is a level of privilege. Like I remember my African dad who grew up in Cameroon, not speaking about mental health, who grew up not even 
like being aware that emotions are something you were in tune with for him to call me and be like of course i'm gonna help you julie this is your health i was like well i started sobbing <laughs> because i was like <gasps> like thank you for understanding that but that's that's another uh, another thing like it's just there's so many whether it's the taboo or whether it's practical there's so many barriers but we know that all of it comes from that initial taboo and that lack of recognition of the importance of supporting people's mental well-being honestly sorry i just have to go back to the fact that that's amazing like that's the most positive response mm. i've ever heard anyone get for sure because yeah. for me it's it's been like the best response would be like okay whatever do what you want kind of like okay yeah. if you think you need it it was like the pinnacle of like oh this is good you know that this person's not against yeah. it um but it's also like great to see the growth of people um around you sure. when you go through things because for example i always have a hard time talking about like the the closest people to me because i never want to say anything bad and like you know i'm very lucky i have a support but i also know that there are things that they don't understand and takes a lot of time they're not too willing sometimes but like i can see like it's been massive massive progress from where i was when i was 17 and where my family was about the idea of me getting this kind of help to where i am now and even though they're still not capable of understanding a lot or, or just not everything and there are still things that go like i don't believe in psychiatry or whatever things yeah. happen people grow with you in those things that i think is is, is another um thing about the taboo like it's hard for you it's hard for them especially when it's your parents because there's a lot of this idea that when they grow up that they're responsible for their children 100 right so if your children has a problem that means that it's your mistake you did something wrong and it so that's why at least that's what i think is a very big part and them not being extremely happy about the idea um you know i also grew up in an environment when you don't talk about these things very much I think generally Eastern Europe is very much like you lock things in the house and we don't really talk uh, about those problems at large. That's the taboo issue, which I think that is extremely fueling me is the idea that I'm doing something, but it's also helping other people around me grow. But that being said, yeah. you will have people that will be not very supportive of the idea of you going to therapy or getting help because there will be people that actually benefit from your bad habits and you know the relationship that you had built with someone was not built yes. on a healthy basis and this is actually a yes really as well because you will lose people like that's it you yep. will start taking care more of yourself and mm -hmm. therefore you will not mm -hmm. be taking giving them as much and yeah it's a hard one oh so many things to say to that yeah <laughs> I, the people grow with you that is such a beautiful way to put it and it's it's something that can be said about so many things. Like I'll go back to my parents example as well, again, because it's just a really good one. Like I had such a good upbringing. My mom, like whenever I think of my childhood, if I had to put an emotion next to my childhood, it would be love. The most important thing for my mom was that at the end of the day, every night when we went to bed and every morning when we woke up, we knew that we had two people that loved us unconditionally and that were proud of us no matter what we did and that we could feel comfortable with that we could feel empowered from it was just that was the one thing it's really something that i'm so happy that they choose to do is i grew up with so much love 
having said this, as I've said, my dad is a Cameroonian man who between ages zero to 18 grew up in Cameroon in the 70s, 80s. So it wasn't it wasn't the upbringing that I had. Let's put it that way. There's whether it comes to mental health and to a lot of other like social norms. He didn't grow up being told the things that I grew up being told. And so there's a paradox of like, my parents are great and they're so loving. And I like to think they raised four amazing humans um, and they're amazing humans themselves, but they are still people that have their own socializations that grew up around the people that they grew up with in the environments they grew up with. So it's not always easy. Like, yes, my parents used to hug me and I can talk to them about anything. But when I was going through my first depressive episode, my family was the last people that I, that were even clued up on it. And it's just watching them grow with you is such a good point of like, I never really talked about like anxiety and things like that with my parents, especially not with my dad. And so for us to get from the point of like, not really talking about it and him, I knew that he really didn't get it to me being able to tell him one day, like, yeah, there was a point at my life where this is what I was feeling. And this is how, this is what I was thinking of doing and him being like, okay, okay. And being able to hear it and be like, wow, to the point today of him being like, of course, I'm going to help you because this is so important and this is your health. I've seen the growth and it's just insane to see, to see like, yeah, your parents just completely understand it. And, and it is hard for them because, um, I was home for my birthday recently and we were having a conversation with my mom and my sisters about all of our mental health. I won't go into detail because a lot of it is their story to tell. But at one point my mom just started feeling really guilty. She was like, how could I not see all of this? And so for people around you, it can be so hard to come to terms with these things, especially, yeah, the people that love you, the people that raised you, the people that feel like they, they have a responsibility um, towards you to ensure that you're happy and that you live a good life. It can be so hard for them to hear these things, but she was then able, as we were also reassuring her that it had nothing to do with her. She was also able to understand that it goes way beyond that and that she can't think of it like that because that's also making whatever we were telling her about her. And of course it's not going to make you feel great, but in the moment she realized she was like, but I just need to be there for them and listen and understand. And at one point we were talking about triggers, for example, and she was just like, Oh, I didn't realize. And then she started asking, okay, how could I make your lives easier with this, this and that? What could I do? And that's when I thought like, this is growth right there because we started the conversation with, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't see all of this. And us having to reassure her about what we were going through to a point where she was literally taking notes of like, okay, I'm going to make sure I do this. I'm going to make sure I do that. And I just want to hop back on the last point that you made about like, some people are not going to be happy. This is not to villainize anyone. You know, everybody's on their own journey. Everybody has the understanding that they have. In my other episode, I remember saying, it's almost impossible to ask for, ask someone to be like, empathetic towards your situation, especially if they haven't experienced anything similar. What you can ask for is sympathy. You can't have, pe people are not gonna completely understand what it is that you're going through because it might not make any tangible sense to them. And that's okay, you can't ask that of people. It might not make sense in their mind and you can't demand that. What you can demand is boundaries and communication positive communication and for you to be able to put down those boundaries and for them to be respected. And that's a big thing that I'm talking about in therapy at the moment is when I went through my second depressive episode, I, and before the lead up to, but after a few people 
were not in my life anymore. And for a while I was angry at them, then I was angry at myself. And then my therapist just said like, she was like, that doesn't make them good or bad people. But at the end of the day, the version of you that you are today is the version that you want to be. And that's not a version that fits them. And that is not your problem. That is not yours to fix. You cannot take any guilt, feel any type of way towards them or towards yourself. If some people are not happy or not okay or not fulfilled having a relationship with you when you are your truest self. She's like, that's goodbye. There's no, and that's something that's so hard to come to terms with, but it is that thing of like, you're not going to lose people because you've changed or because they're like bad people. You're going to lose people because the version of yourself that you currently are, or that you're trying to, you're striving to be just doesn't fit them. Whether it's because they're not the nicest people or whether it is because like for me, it's because now at the big age of 24, I'm finally starting to put, to understand that I need to put down boundaries and that I'm, and I'm also getting rid of this character that I was telling you about that I built, which is what a lot of people would have only known. And now that I don't want to be this Julie anymore, because I realize that's not who I really am. And I'm ready. And I'm in an environment where I'm able to really let go of that Julie that I created as a, as like a coping and a protection mechanism. Some people don't get it because they don't know this true form of Julie. And it's just like, she was like, it's not any, no, there's no good or bad guy, but you guys are just not compatible. So it's like the relationship doesn't work when you're being your truest self, the relationship doesn't work. And that's that, but it's just, yeah, the whole, like, you're going to lose thing, lose people. And some people are not going to be necessarily happy. It's so complex because it's so true. But I think for a while, my issue was that I needed to place fault on someone. And so I would either have sleepless nights thinking, well, surely I must be a horrible person. I'm, I'm the problem. I can't have friends, even though I've, I've still got loads of people yeah. in my life. Or it was, well, they're not good people. How dare they not support me through what yeah. I was going through? How dare they abandon me in a time of need? And it's neither, neither of those things. It's just people not being compatible. I find that to be very true. Um, but what I really love your story with your family and what i've learned from my family is that love and support like love and understanding don't necessarily have to come from the same place is but what i mean like by this like wow they won't be able to understand what i'm coming from mm -hmm. not necessarily because they don't want to but just because that's you know the life they lead i'm now mm -hmm. that i'm older you know when you reach like your 20s you start to realize your parents are people and they've also grew up somewhere yeah. and they also have yeah, things yeah, yeah. that, you know, made them yeah. certain ways. Yeah. So for and they, me, it's their first life too. Like they're figuring it yeah. out too. They're just further along. So, so I've reached that point when I'm like, even if they cannot understand what's going on and if they cannot fully get behind it, I know that they love me. And the exactly. kind of growth, it's very visible because I have also an eating disorder, which mm -hmm. is not a common knowledge at all. I don't really tell that to people. Um, but what I mean with, with the love and the support without necessarily understanding is as I went home last summer, um, I was there for two months, right? And eating is something that it's, you, you can't avoid it, the topic, right? When you're with, when you live with other people, basically. And I was like, look, I don't understand myself. It's a very difficult thing. Um, because, you know, I've been going through this. We don't know. It's a, it's a very messy topic, to be honest, to understand it. Um, and basically my mom was like, okay, can you, can you tell me like, are there colors that you like, you know, if you look at food, that's, I don't know, yellow, like she was really just being like, just tell me and I will make it work. I don't need to know anything else rather than the very practical details, which is, you know, 
truly amazing. And I think in terms of parents, I'm very reflective and I think you are too. And, you know, in a big part because of the kind of field that we're in, like political science really requires you to be very reflective of things. So that's why I'm like, I've been told by my friend recently and I was staring her about things that are happening to me and things that are happening to other people, like in relationship to me, to me. And she was like, you're extremely understanding because I would just be like, I'm done. Like they're at fault. Leave me alone kind of situation. And yeah. I'm kind of like, I've learned a long time ago, which are relationships I want to keep and which way I can work on them. So mm. this is what I learned with my family. Like you don't necessarily, and that's what you meant when you mentioned boundaries, when I'm like, it's very hard, but actually I do think that your family is usually the first place where you have to set up boundaries because they love you and for sure they will love you. But there's a diff, there's a reason why we talk about, you know, generational gap. That's why certain things we can do and talk about that they cannot. So I kind of feel like this is very important to me to kind of reiterate. Sometimes the first step that you have to take to help yourself is not going to be supported even by the people who love you the most because they don't understand. But like we said, people grow with you. And if you need to do something for yeah. yourself, you still need to do it. Um, but yeah. that's extremely, yeah. extremely, extremely hard. And it can actually really cause a lot of pain to everyone. But that doesn't mean that it's oh, not for worth sure. it. Yeah, yeah. it's it, people grow with you. And those that don't, I think a lot of people look back, you know, a lot of people will have different experiences and they'll have experiences where at some point in their mental well-being journey, there's been people that haven't understood. And if the people don't grow with you, a lot of those people, I think, who have been able to come out the other side and be their truest self and be on that journey to understanding what being their truest self and what seeking happiness might look like, I think a lot of them will tell you it's okay to leave those people behind but what's hard is those people might be your family. Those people might be your closest friends. Those people might be like your current partner. It can be a lot of people. It's a lot of people are lucky that they've got people around that them that support and love them and that you know will support and love you through whatever. But there are also a lot of people that don't have that. But that's where, and that was kind of how this podcast came to be, was you and I were talking about how um, we both started taking action to get better and we've both kind of admitted to ourselves like i can't do this on my own i'm gonna need external help i'm gonna need whether that be professional help whether that be medication whether that be a break whether that be many things like i'm i'm needing to reach out to other people that aren't just like yeah my friends or the having a rant to my friend or having a cry every once in a while is not cutting it anymore i i need like tangible supports medical supports but that's where if you might be listening to this and thinking, but I don't think I would have the support of other people, or you might be thinking of someone that might not, that's where the external help also exists. There's, there's a way, there's a way to navigate through this. And yeah, some people will grow with you. You'll lose other people along the way. You might lose more people than you expected. You might lose people that you didn't think you could live with not having in your life. But that's where some doors will close, but there's doors that you don't even know that are there that are there. And that's where I think, again, that's why it's so important to lift the taboo and talk about these things, because that's where professional help exists and helps. And that's where not even professional help, like there's so many people that have a very holistic approach to healing and to mental well-being. But that's where there are so many things and ways that exist that can enable you to find the supports and uh, find the tools that you need to 
to heal, essentially, like a lot of the conversation we're having is around healing, whatever the wounds are, we all have different invisible wounds, but it's about healing those. And I think, yeah, with that initial taboo that we talked about, which is very societal, there comes a very personal and emotional and hard element and your healing can come with more pain. But through your healing, you will also get to a point where you can deal with that pain that was born from the healing. So yeah, it might seem like the the recording just like stopped. It might seem very broken. We took a little break to just, you know, chill out, get some water, talk about more trivial things, memories of our graduation. But we are back. And I think you had a point that you wanted to make. Yes. So um, that's something that's very personally to me, very important because like I've mentioned, I've been diagnosed a year ago. So it's been a year now. And obviously my problems, my issues also been going longer than that year. And Julie mentioned that like, she's been for a little bit, like six weeks or something like that. And that it's mm-hmm. been great. And like, that's so happy, but it also makes me feel like we all get very excited at the beginning And there's the Mm -hmm. problem of like recovery and any kind of treatment. It's really not linear. Like, and for me, Mm -hmm. for someone that I'm very much like, I make a plan, I stick to it and I go through it. Right. It's super difficult for me still like years later down the line to be like, this isn't linear. It's going to be good days and it's going to be bad days. And bad days don't actually mean that I'm not making progress because as a whole, I'm still making progress. I'm nowhere. If I was on ground zero five years ago, I am on ground six now. So even if I take a step back, I'm still on ground, uh, you know, floor five. Like it's, it's still going forward, but it's very difficult and it can be very disheartening. And like, I had a really bad streak now the last few weeks, like I've mentioned, uh, like I've mentioned very quickly in passing, but like I've had weeks, like I couldn't get out of bed. I don't eat. Mm -hmm. I, uh, things like that and and it seems so trivial to people to be like just go to a grocery uh, shop and do some shopping and i'm Mm. like i don't know how to explain to you that that just seems like Mm -hmm. i have to get out of bed i have to open my door i have to go outside like there is so many steps that i'm not capable of making right now and then at the same Mm -hmm. time i'm graduating my master's so for people it's so difficult to reconcile the fact oh but you're still doing things so you're fine don't even get me started. <laughs> it does also a very difficult point for me because, I, you know, I was very lucky in my life. As you know, I've been moving around a lot as well. Um, I've been in Japan in the fall semester and things like that. So a lot of I've been told from people that are super close to me. And I mean, like my closest friends that knew what was going on. And it was very painful to be like, well, you're going to Japan. So you don't get to complain. Mm. Like, you know, you're on scholarship, so you don't get to complain because now you don't have to work anymore. So and, and the no. kind of things of like, you should be doing good because you have all this, you know, like opportunities or like, and then it makes you feel guilty because you know that other people mm-hmm. do have it worse. And it turns into this kind of oppression Olympics when you don't give yourself any kind of allowance to not feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but point, another point I was trying to, ma- I guess we're making now is that pushing it down like pretending things aren't happening the things will catch up to you eventually because i am aware that the breakdown that i'm in right now even though i'm here talking to julie and i know some people will be like well she's doing this entire thing so clearly she's doing well things Mm -hmm. catch up to you because i know that the things are wrong now it's partially because of where i am and that, that i'm not happy in the place and the environment i'm in 
mm-hmm. but I'm also aware that it's like six years of constant work and very much like pushing things down because I need to graduate on time. I need to volunteer. I need to work. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to conquer the world because I'm going to be 25. And what am I going to do then in my old age? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I totally agree. To be fair, having said this, like, uh, one, yeah, I totally agree with you. <laughs> I was trying to find a way to say it, but there's nothing more to say. It, there's there's good and bad days again. You, We might be saying this and anybody will be thinking, oh my God, no way, there's good and bad days. But no, it needs to be reinforced because in the bad days, you can forget that good days will still come. And in, But in the good days, you might still be scared of the bad days. It's not because you have a bad day that you're going to go back to that. You need to be careful and aware of your triggers and, you know, you need to be self-aware and take care of yourself and identify, oh, I've been feeling this, I've been thinking this, and, you know, catch it before it's too late. Allow yourself to have a bad day. Sometimes, you know, you've said, like, sometimes I just can't get out of bed and, yeah, relate on so many levels. And it's you've explained it in such a good way. Like, you were like, because there's so many steps to going outside and go, doing my shopping, like... I'd never even gone that far. And what you've said is actually on a personal note really helped me, but I'd never even gone that far in my thought process. It's, to me, sometimes it's just like, I can't even explain it. I just can't do it. I just can't get out of bed. There's no yes, but this, but I can't, I'm not going to. It's not that I don't want to. I'm just not getting out of bed. Simple as that. But the way you've explained it is like, there would be so many steps to getting me to a place where I've achieved just one thing one day. It just feels like too much. And the linear, that's such a, I'm so glad that you brought it up because it can feel, healing can feel so exciting. And we were talking about this offline, like you'll have little nuggets that happen to you that bring you so much joy and that make things make a little bit more sense. And you just think, ah, and you breathe and it puts everything in perspective, but you have days where you don't have those nuggets and you have days where you have the opposite and something really little brings you back to even a thought that you haven't thought for months and you're like, oh no, I thought we were over this. I thought this darkness was like gone, but it's just, it's hard in the moment. But I think it's keeping that in mind. Not even it's going to get better. Just that sentence that you said, it's not linear. So whatever I'm feeling today, I might not feel like that tomorrow. It might be a tiny bit better. It might be the opposite, but it won't stay. I find that I'm a very lyrical person in the terms of I I love lyrics, I love quotes. So I try to find things that help me. I'll put them on walls and things like that so I can see it. And the one that I really love that helps me a lot is this too shall pass, which is this idea if it's bad, it's going to pass. And if it's good, it's also going to pass. So you have to enjoy it now while it's here. Mm -hmm. And to me as well, because of for anxiety for me the idea that nothing is permanent is actually very calming because whatever happens it's only for now and then we kind of move on Mm -hmm. on the point of self-awareness that you've mentioned because that's super important at least for me like i said i'm either very on and i'm constantly on or i'm very off and the problems with that is that you actually have to be quite prepared for your bad days in those situations because for example Whenever I start feeling bad, like I have the surge of like, I'm just going to go home. But mm. I'm also the rational part of my brain knows that's not going to help. That's avoidance. And mm-hmm. that actually is a really bad thing. But when you're already feeling yeah. bad, if you haven't established that before, you won't be stopping yourself from falling into all those bad things. So I think what people, you know, we think that we go to therapy and magically everything is good and it's perfect. And I think therapy is more of a tool to kind of help you set out those habits so that when the bad things come, they're not that bad anymore because you know how to deal with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
for sure. And I don't think you can go in expecting the other person to fix you, which is why for a while I didn't yeah. want to go to therapy because I was like, I don't need you to help me get there. I want you to fix me. I want you to tell me do this, this, and this, and you won't feel like this anymore. And I had to get over that thought and be like, no, it's about me. I just need, and that's why I came in telling her, I want to understand myself more. And this thing of which I said in the last episode, like I fully come to terms with the fact that anxiety, for example, is something that's going to be with me forever. But that doesn't scare me anymore because it's part of who I am. And it also means that it, there's a lot of things like the fact that anxiety means that I'm also very emotional. It means I said it again. I feel happiness has such a high extent. So it's like, yeah, the bad days can get really bad, but equally the tiniest positive thing can happen and it can make my day. And so, yes, you live with it, but you also, you learn to cope and you learn to live with it. And it's not only bad. And that's what help can do, whatever yeah. that may look like is or at least for me, and I think, yeah, as you said, like for you, some of what it means is learning to understand it, deal with it, embrace it, just learning to live with that and learning to accept that that is a part of you rather than that's something that's been sprung on you and that you're trying to get rid of. It's just, just becoming aware of all the facets of your personality and that being one of them. Yeah. So I think it kind of ties into being ready to go to therapy right because you you yeah. when you're ready it's not like i'm coming here fix me it's you coming there and being like i'm gonna fix this and you're gonna help me yeah you're gonna show me the exactly. way and i think people don't understand they there's a lot of this idea that like you go and you sit there and you complain and then you feel better and i'm like oh my god therapy is so much work like yeah. it's so difficult there are so many things to go in i Learn now to never ever set appointments for morning because my entire day is just mm. gone because you're just wrecked emotionally yeah. in every possible way. But I, I do what you said um, also stuck with me that it, it's a part of what it is. So for my, let's call it a journey, like I've mentioned, I've got my diagnosis a year ago and I don't think I'll ever really forget that day because it was a very bittersweet experience for me because I terrifying was the first time I went to see a psychiatrist because to get a diagnosis you need to do that which again costs money so not all of us can do it and I remember getting the diagnosis and it was like I don't really know how to explain this to be like so many years you knew that something was wrong and you pre I pretty much knew what it was at that point like yeah. I just needed someone to say it and it just felt so validating to be like okay I didn't make this up like this is someone understands and you know other people have this it's it's fixable somehow mm -hmm. and then i be and then my next question because like i've mentioned i fix things i was like okay how long do you think i need to be working on this right i was like mm. how long what's the plan what's the steps was there you know yeah. 12 14 yeah. steps that i have to do and then i'm fixed forever and she was mm. like anxiety is really a thing you live with that's not yeah. something that's fixable and I just remember like I partially broke down I was kind of like this is not what I wanted you know like mm. when you go to a doctor you kind of expect that they're gonna give you a treatment plan and then you come out of exactly. it exactly healthy but that's the difficult part to kind of deal with like that it is what it is and it's gonna be there forever and it's also very difficult to explain to people because like you've mentioned sometimes you don't even understand what's wrong yourself when you're like I just can't do it and it's such a funny thing that I'm also now having, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I have my doctors. So I have like official documents and things. So I don't need to explain things to people myself. I just send them an email and I'm like, this is what it is. Thank you. But then, because it sounds so funny, especially when you're an adult, you're like, how do I explain to someone that I cannot get out of bed? I literally cannot get out of bed. 
and if they don't understand they don't understand and it's a very hard thing so mm-hmm. for me it's like oh yeah i have anxiety also i have those other 50 things i i think like sometimes the fact that i'm even awake is a miracle right and and then kind of like you don't want to feel sorry for yourself but at the same time you, you kind of need people to understand that you know us making it here today was not the same level of effort <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you just need that level of understanding. You need some people to cut you some slack. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's as you said, you don't want to feel sorry for yourself, but sometimes, you know, I'm like this sucks. Like this is hard, you know. I wish things were easier, but that's when self-awareness is so important. Sometimes it can just be a uh, like writing things down. Just talk, just vocalize what it is that you feel like. Sometimes even that can help, but as you've said, sometimes even that is too much. And it's just that self-awareness, that hit and miss of learning to live with these things and learning to understand and learning how you can cope with them like it just takes time but as you said it's it's not linear it's some things are going to work some days some things aren't and i wanted to jump on something else that you said if it's going to catch up with you i um for this episode you told me that you'd listen to the first one and so i re-listened to it as well because i was like actually there might be some things and i realized like uh, literally maybe 15 minutes in one of the things i mentioned is like after my first kind of depressive episode um i completely changed and i was a lot better and i was great and it was the happiest i'd ever been and everything was great and, and i was investing in my relationships and and i look back on this now i'm not sure what it is probably something i need to raise with my therapist that is so far from being the truth julie that i am today at that point in my life when i started getting better i wasn't more self-aware i wasn't investing in myself in others i was just finding ways after having recovered from that to still be the julie that people needed and wanted me to be i was there was i was yeah i was very happy probably because i was in, in denial a bit like i was just feeling a lot better but i was so far from the self-awareness i'm describing in the episode and i know this because now i'm closer to it but i also know now that there's so much work that needs to be done but i think that's where what you said really resonated is i thought there and then i've got it figured out i'm confident i was like feeling a lot more confident and a lot more comfortable with myself which was great but that was the start that was really the start and that was for me meeting a lot of people that kind of allowed me to be who i wanted to be being in an environment where i wasn't constantly triggered it was a mixture of a lot of things but that was just the beginning of the for me like my real healing the the painful but really really restorative healing so yeah looking back today i thought i was fine i thought i was good i didn't need anything else all i needed is like a little bit of self care to make sure that i knew my triggers and that i knew what was coming and i'd be fine again and then as we know <laughs> it happened again and it was 10 times worse and well, that's that resonated of it did catch up with me so it's just about finding a way to giving giving it enough space to healthily be there but also being aware enough that you don't let it take over i think at least for me that's what it's been like that's the journey i'm on i do think it's kind of like you know like you go to the gym you set the time in a week to go to the gym and i think that's pretty much just how you have to think about those things as well like it's easier when it's therapy right because that's a scheduled mm. hour every week so you go da 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 so for me right now it's it's the idea of like okay it's past 6 p.m. i don't work now mm-hmm. i don't reply to emails i put on a tv and i actually enjoy and i'm trying not to be like oh my god i'm not working therefore i'm lazy so it can take different forms like it can be you going for a walk and that could be your scheduled well-being kind of situation yeah, yeah. to allow that space 
I think in your 20s as well, like you've, it's kind of easier to push it back because we keep feeling like we have all those steps that we're doing, right? So first we're in the undergrad, we're going to finish our undergrad, then I'm going to finish my master's or you're going to find a job. And then when I have the job and I have a house, then I can start worrying about this because I'll have the space and the time to do it you know, to like deal with it. And it's so easy to kind of excuse things with like, I'll do it after the next step that I complete. And then kind of, it's a house of cards and eventually kind of just crashes and burns. You're so right. People think like, you know, from the older generation, you can get that being like, oh, you're just being whiny now. You're all being children. You're just not working hard enough. Like, look at us. We don't have that. And then I look at my parents and my grandparents and they're like, I'm sorry to say that wrecked with life. Yeah. There's for so sure. many people now that like that need to take the the healthier off and things like that. So I'm kind of like, it's always been there. We just didn't talk about it. Absolutely. It's always been there. It's uh so one thing my manager always said tells me, another great woman in my life, my manager, she's the best. One thing she tells me when I get really stressed at work is um she's like when I get really stressed, oh no, but what if I don't have to do this? She's like, Julie, at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed, are you going to think about that stupid email that you didn't send? If it's not then, tomorrow, in a week, in a year, in 10 years, what's going to matter? What are you going to remember? Is it that email that you didn't send and that instead of sending at 7 p.m. when you're supposed to finish at half five, you just sent at 9 a.m. the next day? Or are you going to think about the lovely evening that you had doing whatever and taking time for yourself? And it really, I really try to think that about a lot of things, but definitely with work, it's so true. It's just work is great. And I'm so lucky that I'm like in an, and I'm doing it essentially exactly what I wanted to do. Like I had this idea of what I wanted to do. I didn't even know if it even existed. And I'm so fortunate that I, I do that for a living. So it's great. I am passionate about what it is that I do in the sector that I work in, in my day-to-day tasks, the kind of team I work with. Like I've really found something that is what I envision for myself. And that's insane, but it still gets draining. And it's not because I'm able to be passionate about my work and to incorporate my passions into the work that I do. It's That doesn't mean that my life is my job. There's a world be- beyond what I do from nine to five thirty, there's a world beyond what I am when I'm doing what it is that I'm doing from nine to five thirty. And again, it's like we say when we say like, yeah, anxiety needs a little place to be because it's a part of who you are. Just like your job is a part of who you are, yes, but it's not all that you are. Um, the time that you take with your loved ones is a part of who you are, but it's not all that you are. The time that you take for yourself is a part of who you are, but it's not who, everything that you are. It's again just a hard process, a very complex and sometimes difficult process of finding space to fit it all. And that's where it even links back to what we were saying about the people. There there can be a world where it can all fit. Like in, in our situations, for example, where we've got the, the basic levels of, you know, not having to worry about, my mom always says this to me. She's like, for people like us who don't have to worry about the bare necessities of putting food on the table, drinking drinkable water every day and having a roof over our heads, things always fall into place. She's like, we've got those three things that we don't need to worry about. Trust me, Julie, everything else ends up being okay. It will fall into place. It might not make sense, but you'll get there. Don't worry. So for people that like us that don't have to worry about this, there is a way that you can find for everything to kind of fit. It's just about finding that. And I'm not saying it's an easy journey. I'm just saying that I truly believe at least for myself, that there is a way that everything can combine, but it's just finding finding that kind of 
in between and just knowing that, yeah, if you don't leave enough space for something or too much space for another, it all catches up with you. It's just about the balance. I think it's a balance that you spend, you probably spend your whole life finding and it's very hit and miss. Yeah, it's kind of what I wanted to jump on when you said, I really love the bit of like, it's what you are, but it's not all that you are. And I think that applies to literally everything. And when you're Mm -hmm. saying like, what are you going to worry about in 10 years, in five years? But that's what I think is one of the skills that you get when you're do- yeah. once you're doing that self-reflection because it's because you need hindsight for that, right? I need to look back mm-hmm. now. The thing that I was so stressed out about when I was 18, is this something that now bothers me? So mm. whatever I'm doing now, is this going to better me in the next five years in the future? And, you know, for someone with anxiety specifically about like future stuff and things, that was so healing to me. And I still have people just being like, okay, does it really matter as much? Does it just need to get done or does it need to be the best thing that you have ever done in your life? And I guess basically the other part that I wanted to say, and I'm having a hard time to believe this myself. And you know, there are the bad days that I've been having lately. It's very hard, but on a good day. And you know, generally I do think, I believe things get better. With time, things get better. And I think we Mm -hmm. keep forgetting to say that to people, especially in the world we live in with the constant information available and just being checked at you all the time. Like we're swimming in the ocean of information and they're very often not positive at all. We've mentioned for a bit there. And I just feel like we keep forgetting things will get better, especially when we talk about mental health, like I will tell you that therapy is a lot of work, but it's a work that pays off. It has to. And the thing is, you said it yourself, like you don't always believe it. There's been times where I definitely didn't believe it, but it doesn't mean that it's not crucial to hear it and crucial to say it to yourself. You don't have to believe it, but it's there. And I think a lot of people don't say it because it's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you this because I know you're not going to listen. No, no, still say it. Still say it. You might not believe it as you're saying it. The person listening might not believe it, but it's important to still say it because there's going to be, there could be five minutes in those next two weeks of darkness where you've got, yeah, maybe not even 30 seconds where you're going to be a little bit optimistic. And the first thing you might think is it will get better. It's important to know in the good and the bad. And it's not to, yeah, to say like, yeah, as, as you said, like it's, it's, it's not easy to actually believe, but it's, I think it's, it's something that needs to be said more, you know, it's, and it's just focusing on the positive. Like, as you said, we're, it's just, it's so easy to be surrounded by negativity. It's like, it's almost like, you know, complimenting people or saying positive things or, you know, telling the people that you love, that you love them and stuff like that. It's just little things that you might think don't do anything, but that with time becomes a habit and it's training your brain. Like that's a lot of what self-care to me is. It's also training your brain. Our brains are creatures of habit. Our brains react to doing things over and over and associate. Obviously, the brain is like a very complex thing, but there is an element that is very straightforward of associating this with this and associating this with that. And I don't know if you've ever had it, but I really struggle with sleep. And a lot of it is like um, therapists through the years have told me that a lot of fixing it is through habit of if you do this, like not eating or, you know, not working in bed and stuff like that. People say, oh, it's not good for you. It's because your brain then associates your bed with not being a place to sleep. 
And a lot of it is training in with self-care. I wrote an article recently. It was literally like a little listicle full of like irony for stress awareness month where I was just reviewing different forms of self-care and how they've worked for me or not. And I know you said like, yeah, for you, it might be a walk. Like for example, I hate walks. Like I, even though so many people rave about them, so I'm sure it's great for them, but it's finding those little things and it's training yourself to view things differently, to put yourself first, to know that, yeah, even though right now it, it you might not be in the headspace where you want to think positively, knowing that in the back of your brain somewhere, your subconscious knows this. And it's just a lot of it with self-awareness, I think, and self-care and being um, and healing and just getting to know yourself more is also just, yeah, an exercise of habit of if I do this for long enough or if I say this for long enough, like that's what manifesting is all about, you know? Maybe if I believe something for long enough or if I repeat it for long enough, it's gonna happen. Or like lucky girl syndrome that we see on social media. Nobody's saying that, like, yeah, you flick a switch and all of a sudden you're good, but it's that thing of, surely it has to pay off at some point. If I keep trying, it's gonna end up paying off. And that's what you said with therapy of, eventually it will pay off nobody's saying it's easy but you will get to the point where it pays off and it's so important that you do because that point exists it for sure it for sure ex i really do believe even though most of the time i can't see it myself i really believe that that point exists yeah and you know i think it also like you say with habits and with therapy is getting to know yourself because the truth is we don't really take that time mm -hmm. like once mm -hmm. you're out of school really you don't really plan anything except for going to work realistically mm -hmm. or sometimes seeing your friends but so you don't take plan that time to take with yourself and think what makes me happy what do i want like you're saying that works don't work for you right well you mm -hmm. have to think about that to know about it to know that it doesn't work for you right i only found out recently that apparently um you know there are two types of people i guess um that react to anxiety i it was quite common that people were like you need to do the breathing exercises and i forgotten them for CBT in a lot of times and for me it was just making me more anxious right because oh, my wow. brain would think you're you're trying to calm down to breathing therefore something is wrong and it then turns out that it's just the way my brain works I need to burn things off so I need to walk I need to run I need to go to the gym I need to do physical stuff so sitting me down when I'm anxious is the worst thing you can do for me because now I think about literally everything that can happen so it's the time of like what will work for me and what will not work for me. And the fact that something works for other people doesn't work for you. Like that's fine. We, we there's so many things that impact how we work and how we function, like upbringing, the environment we're in, just our personality, things that we're born with. It's the carving, I think part of well-being and mental health, it's carving out that space of like, I'm me and no one else is me. And I feel like that's so crucial, especially when we're surrounded by social yeah. media as well. Yeah, definitely. For sure. And I think like, that's so interesting that you've said that because I think throughout this conversation, we've related to each other on a lot of things, just like there's others that we haven't. For me, breathing and sitting me down, that's one of the key ways to help. I love that. I need sometimes to... But you've said it doesn't work for you but that's how different it can be is you might listen to like however long we've been talking for and think oh there's so many similarities with just the fact that we've both said that like one of the main things we struggle with is anxiety yet it manifests in different ways for both of us the triggers aren't the same the boundaries aren't the same and 
the things that we need to get better aren't the same either. Like for me, that's the, I love that. Sometimes I need, not the actual breathing that I get, but I just need to sit down for a second and just, whew, and talk. And somebody sitting me down and being like, you okay, taking a minute, that's exactly what I need, but it won't work for you. And it's finding, and again, that's why these conversations matter because it's understanding that, yeah, you might find similarities and we, we can talk about anxiety. We can do that, but what we can do and what social media does a lot, for example, is pretend that anxiety is this exact thing. This is how it manifests and this is how to fix it. And that's where it's okay quite natural and probably quite necessary to get external help, whatever that may be. Again, we're not saying that therapy uh, and medication, for example, are the only two things you can do, but you not being able to do it on your own is not anything alarming or weird or it's just because it's complex and there's lots of questions and you need time and perspective and a lot of different tools to be able to, to deal with it. That journey or yeah, again, at least for me, that's what it's about. Understanding what does it entail? Like, okay, I'm Julie. What does that actually entail? And once I know that, how do I, how do I make it work? So we're on different, no, we're on different pages of our stories. Like, cause you've just said, like, you've just yeah. started pretty much um, new and exciting, <laughs> which is fun. It's to, you know, get the energy at the beginning of it all. Um, I'm a bit jaded, but like I'm just in a slump. Um, I've mentioned that briefly and I did want to talk about it a little bit is that I am medicated, which was a very difficult choice to make. Um, it's been a year now. And like I've mentioned, you know, I've, I've had love and support from my family, but understanding is, is a different thing. It's a harder thing. And, you know, they had their concerns, which, you know, are completely valid because we don't really it's another stigma. We don't really talk about it. We kind of see people that take medication for things like that as just taking the shortcut or they're not working hard enough by themselves to mm -hmm. do it and things like that. And I personally had the same problem, like, because making the decision actually to start medication is one thing, but you know, it's a long-term process, right? And you start with mm. a low dosage and depending how things go, you then decide with your doctor, whether you increase mm -hmm. it, decrease it and so on. And so for me, every time something happened and she would be like, I think it would be useful for you to increase the dosage, I would feel like I'm failing in my own treatment. It would just be like, well, then I didn't do good enough to stay on the level that I'm at. And they would have to time and time again explain to me, be like, there are external factors, things are happening, you can control it. And it's the kind of idea that like those medications are what's keeping you afloat so you can actually keep working on things. Because like you've mm. mentioned um, emotions, right? You have very high yeah. level emotions. That's me. And that was also something um, I know the people around me was difficult, but that's what we're used to. Is like I had extremely high highs. Like when I was happy, I was happy. And I have lowest of lows. Like I never really medium anything. And the beginning of, of actually getting treated to me was actually quite difficult because I was very dependent on those emotions to work and to do anything. That was like my fuel and my motivation. And when they took that away, I was like, I don't know how to do anything. When I don't have this unhealthy trigger that either the anxiety of like 
this is the most important thing that I have ever done. And if I don't do this deadline, I will, you know, miss out on every opportunity of my life wasn't there when the fear wasn't there. I couldn't do it. Or were the high of like, I'm so happy and I just really want to do it. Like, this is the greatest thing ever wasn't there. I was like, well, what do I do? Like, what's my Mm. motivation? How do I function like a normal person? Mm-hmm. And I'm still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And and it's a very difficult balance to strike, but it's also so nice to not be mm. exhausted constantly by your own like swing of emotions. Mm, just kind of imagine. feel something and just sit there and be like, this is what normal people feel like. Like your happiness doesn't have to be those five seconds. Like you can look at something and be like, conscious of the fact that it makes you happy like it's very difficult to explain those to people that didn't go through it but um it's the kind of thing and you know like i've said medications are extremely stigmatized and i personally also have the struggle of like do i want to do this do i not want to do this but at least for me that's been something that's been very very helpful so i guess it's more of a think about it kind of when they tell explore basically like don't automatically kind of like lock yourself out from something that can help yeah for sure it ties back to everything we said about the stigma and stuff like that and it can't decisions can be driven by the outside perception of certain things and also the idea of everybody's unique and different things are going to work different ways for certain people so just like it might not be the fix for you it could still be it's something to explore yeah surrounded by people that know but you're so and the stigma is so 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 interesting that you touch on that because i'm i have so much stigma when it comes to medication so i'm not medicated at the moment i've i'm it's a lot better now but i grew up being told that yeah it wasn't good you know like the fear of like yeah but once you're on them you can never come off them which like i've i've seen a lot of people around me go on medication and off that's not how it works you're put on it progressively, you come off it progressively. And again, like I can't say for sure because I don't know much about it and there's that many different forms of medications, but I've seen my friends be medicated and seen that obviously it's very monitored and supported. And I was like, oh, I was no, I, I had no idea it was like that. I thought it was like a, almost like over the counter thing. Like you're prescribed it, you just take it every day and nobody really monitors it when of course it's not. And a lot of the things you've said, I didn't even fully realize, but also and it ties into something I said I wanted to talk about. I've always thought as well, like I'm not un- unwell enough to need it. And that again is a stigma that will hinder your growth. And that for you, for example, you being able to realize that, okay, well, maybe this is something that I want to try. And having that reassurance when you've had to change your dosage of that doesn't have anything to do with how your growth is doing. This is just allowing you to, con- that was such a good thing that I had no idea about. And that's such a good way of, of your medical professionals of putting it of like, this is not you failing. We're upping your dosage so that you can continue to navigate what it is that you're navigating. Such a good way of putting it, such a good perspective on it. And it's just, yeah, the link, the guilt that is attached to it on top of the stigma, the misconceptions, the urban legends, um, will kind of like hinder. Little do I know, I, I, I'm still not on at a stage in my journey where medication is the thing that feels like it makes sense for me. But for part of the argument to be like, oh, but I'm not unwell enough is damaging because then you start to feel guilty for your own self. And it's that idea that like people have it worse than me. So I've got no leg to stand on. Sorry, I just want to circle back very quickly to what you were Please saying do, yeah, and yeah. I'll get back to it. Um, actually, 
I don't know if you remember it, but I remember that the, the actual, the original conversation that we had for voice notes, <laughs> I remember mm. you saying to me that you've started um, therapy, but you've used the phrase, hopefully I won't be medicated. Yes, did and, I? <gasps> yes. And, you know, I just remember that because at that point, I didn't tell a lot of people that I've decided. And for me, like I'm saying, it was the same struggle that you had, like when you're saying, saying things like, oh, I... I'm not unwell enough. Like there's a stigma. Like I don't, I will never come off of them. Like that was exactly what I've heard and what I was personally worried about. And I just wanted to kind of like retaliate to other people. Like, hey, it's not something that anyone tells you in the first appointment. Like if you're just here to hear about people getting criminal, like you will never go to a doctor. And the first thing they will tell you is like go on antidepressants or whatever it is. Like it's not, you know, like I've been in therapy. And if they do, feel care. free to get a second opinion. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. And then you, you've had that you have, you're constantly monitored. Like before you start, you have to do tests. They have to keep checking that your entire body works properly with the medication. You have to, you know, like there is a lot of safeguards, like you said, like over the counter, like it's not, you have a prescription, the prescription's limited. You need to renew the prescription however many times because, and they will not give you more than what is the amount of pills at the current time so i just wanted to be like we've you know those like you said the urban legends the horror stories of like you just go and do whatever you want or i don't know you're high out of your mind and things like that like it doesn't happen it lifts a burden off of me that i can function better but unless i told you the chances of you knowing are very small which is really interesting and it's it's good to have that conversation from someone that is going through that because it's just the yeah, this idea of like, it's, it's what we've been saying from the start, like, it's not enough to just go off of what you've been told. These are conversations that need to be had within the correct settings with the right people and explored properly. And that really helps because you're just, yeah, so many misconceptions. And as well, I wasn't happy at the beginning. I was, I was having a very long time deciding, well, am I going to do it? Or am I not going to do it? Because my mom, who's never seen uh, mental health doctor was also like, oh my God, it will never come off of the medication. I'm like, what did you know this from? Who told you yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who told you this? Yes. Yeah. Where's your sources? Like, and you know, yeah, it's extremely yeah. frustrating for people like my mom. She's a mathematician. She believes in very strict science. You know what I mean? Like if, so for her to be like pulling this out of nowhere is kind of like, okay. No, but that's but the point. Like people will just pull arguments out of nowhere. And just like you shouldn't start medication based on arguments out of nowhere, you shouldn't completely not look at something just because of the arguments you've heard out of nowhere. It's just like, yeah, do, doing, not doing your research as in do your research, but as in like the journey again, if we go back to the whole journey yeah. and if we look at help and professional help in here, like, yeah, medical help, it's, it's going to take it's going to take time and it's going to take people that know what they're talking about to help you make informed decisions and a lot of people are going to have opinions about those decisions that you want to make or that you choose to make but at the end of the day that's why it goes back to what we were saying you know when we were saying like you might lose people some people won't grow with you but it's okay there will be other people and other forms of support out there that's a key example of it in that moment what you need is not the people around you that are going to tell you what you think they know. You need to be surrounded by people that actually know, which is why the element of reaching out isn't making you weak. It can just be like a curiosity of, I just need to find out more about what these options even are, rather than just staying in, um, in a place where you're, you're not comfortable. It's, it's better to just find out, but 
everything you've said I've found really useful because I had no idea about most of it and it's just yeah it's you hear it like even in like pop culture like even in uh like I'm watching Desperate Housewives at the minute yeah <laughs> and it's I difficult can't lie times, okay it's difficult times for difficult us times, but I'm like low-key not ashamed because it's fun but like yeah, yeah at one point like the the character starts taking her kids ADHD medicine so she's not as tired that's really harmful because then you think that oh yeah yeah if you feel a bit down you can just start taking okay, like yeah. med medication that's not even prescribed for you and it'll be better and it's like actually in real in the real world that's not how it works and that's another element as well of like addiction and things like that yeah. and of course but in the real world that's not how it would work you know because i was thinking i was like what? like why is she doing that i was like that's so harmful but in the real world like i I don't have somewhere where I can just go and find ADHD yeah. medication and just start taking it. So it's a lot more layered, but that's with everything. Like I remember we said something like that in like the vaccine episode, which is not even relevant anymore of like, go to the people that know, don't take your sources. And that's what I, I always wrap up any episode with that of like, at the end of the day, the best way to be able to get anywhere with any topic is to ask and check uh, reputable sources and to go to people that actually know what they're talking about rather than trust and believe and go off of whatever because sometimes the urban legends can very much be the norm so it's not yeah. even like what's not the norm but to go with what is perceived as the truth it's seeking that real truth and to seek the, a real truth which is going to be personal to every there's not a universal yeah. truth for a lot of these things but you're going to have to go to the people that at least understand the questions that you're asking yeah to be able to provide an answer and you know with me being on medication it kind of adds to another part of what well, is partially privileged the fact that you know i can afford it i can keep doing it um but it also feels like oh maybe i'm getting a leg up against other people who don't get it and it's the kind of idea wow. like is this, should I be, you know, getting the medication? Should I be in therapy? Maybe I'm not bad enough to actually be getting this kind of help. And, you know, like while I'm at university, there are structures that help me with certain things. So there's also the question of like, do I deserve this? Maybe I'm making this up. And like, you know, it's very troubling because from like, you know, you, you have this disorder and you will probably always have it. And it's been years and it takes a very long time to get rid of that guilt. I haven't reached that point. I don't know if I ever will reach that point, but it's a very kind of difficult thing to make peace with of being like, you're not abusing any system. You're not going, you're not doing yeah. anything wrong by getting help. Mm. Yeah. And it's not because you have the privilege of getting help, whether it's because you are that far in your self-awareness journey that it felt like the next step or whether it's yeah because financially you're able to afford it and stuff like that that's another thing that doesn't make you a bad person like because you've reached that stage and other people haven't that doesn't make you a bad person and when you said like i don't ever know know if i'll come to terms with that guilt i totally agree like privilege privilege is a funny thing because like for someone, and I know you're the same, we both scream on top of every roof that everybody should check their privileges yeah. and stuff like that. And I, I do think it's integral. We need to understand it because privilege is not necessarily a bad thing. The like institutions and the norms and 
the stuff that's in place that enables privilege to exist, yes, wrong. But privilege in itself doesn't have to be bad. It's just what you make of it, how you use it, and how aware you are of it. I think it's really crucial to be aware of it. But being aware of it, and this is not me like trying to feel sorry for myself, like, but even this, this is a reaction to like, I feel guilty for even saying this, but it's like me being, I'm not bragging about being aware of my privilege and I don't want to be like, oh my God, I hate having all this privilege. But there is that element when you are aware of it, where you feel guilty, you're like, well, I can't complain. How dare I have depressive episodes? How, how dare I have suicidal thoughts? How dare I think all of these things when I've got this, I've got that, I've got that. Like even throughout this episode, I was starting to feel bad when I was talking about how supportive my family was because I was like, some people don't have that. Like you're just bragging, but it's like, no, I'm not bragging. I'm just, yeah, I am thankful and lucky that I have a supportive family, but also like, no, Julie, don't start making yourself feel bad that you have good parents. Like it's, you know, it's just, you can, it's, it's not mutually exclusive. You can check your privilege and realize and understand your privilege and still be happy. Essentially. Sometimes I just feel too guilty. I'm like, I, I don't have, I'm not allowed to complain about these things or I can't feel this way because I have all of this, or I can't say this because I've got all of that. And it, you, you feel bad when you feel sorry for yourself or you feel bad when you're struggling because you're like, oh, things could be so much worse. And you just think of the people that might have it worse than you and what they think of you. But equally, there's levels of privilege that both of us don't have. Like no one really has like ultimate privilege unless you're like a white Christian <laughs> straight cis man, <laughs> middle-class man. But yeah, it, it's, there's all factors that means that we have less level of privilege than others. And I would never look at someone that has more privilege than me, but that recognizes it as like somebody that's doing badly. Like even when I couldn't afford to get therapy, I didn't look down on people that went to therapy. I was happy for them. I was like, you go. And I've before I even was ready to go to therapy, anybody that's ever said to me, I think I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to start therapy. I've been like, yes, please do. And it's what we were saying, like off record, we were talking about um, our undergrad days and how it was really, we were in like a really supportive environment and it continues. We were, we were surrounded by people who like have good hearts and who were genuinely happy and are still genuinely happy when we achieve things. And I think getting rid of that guilt is understanding that is that it's not because something is going well for you that it makes you a bad person. And it's okay. As long as you know, you're, you're doing good. You're, you're happy and you are confident about the person that you are, just live your life, live your life and be aware, being self-aware. But again, this whole, this whole episode is about self-awareness. Understanding your privilege yeah. is part of being self-aware, but I think it's really, it's really like, that's a message that's so important for me to, to share because it's something that I know I struggle with. It's like, being self-aware is great, but don't use that self-awareness as a weapon to, against yourself. The whole point of self-awareness is to make life easier for you and also, you know, for your environment. But don't then turn, the, don't then feel guilty for the self-awareness that you're trying to achieve to make life easier for yourself. I feel like it's a societal thing, but we're kind of like, we romanticize struggle. And I'm sure mm. that can be like tied to <gasps> yes. our beautiful capitalist society in a way. But is this idea of like, oh, you know, if you're doing something to make your life easier, we somehow make that shameful? It's like, oh, why would you be doing those things that make your life easier? Like, and you, the first thing that people always say is like, they're just lazy. Like, it always comes <sighs> back to your productivity. 
so getting mm. help people are like it's the same with like we've mentioned with therapy people will be like oh it's just you going crying on a couch for an hour and someone patting you on the so back not. when it's like it's so much mm. work it's not yeah, validating you in your misery yeah so yeah not. so it's the kind of like we really need to get out of that point when like you can realize that other people have it worse it doesn't mean that you should be bringing yourself down or not getting the help that mm -hmm. you can get like I do think ultimately the goal in life is to make life easier for everyone. So as long as you're making your life easier yeah. and you're not um, taking away from someone else, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. If your happiness, your growth is not hindering others, you're not doing anything wrong because their happiness or growth level not being the same as yours most of the time, if you're like trying to do good and, you know, just go to bed every night and not feel like you've got stuff to feel guilty about, most of the time it won't have anything to do with the other. That person's level of happiness or quality of life will have not. Okay, if we take away capitalism, but your quality of life to a certain extent will have nothing to do with somebody else's quality of life. So you feeling guilt, you lower, lowering your quality of life. Like, let's say I stopped therapy because I felt bad for all the people that can't go to therapy all these people don't automatically start feeling better. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, that's such a good point that you've made. Like you choosing to do something that's going to have no impact on the quality of life of anybody else, but just further yours or make your life a little bit better. There's nothing to feel guilty about. But I know we say this right now, but we, it's, I fully understand that it's hard to believe because I, I tell myself that and I have to tell myself that constantly but realistically, it's hard. And even as I'm saying it right now, I'm like, oh, what if as I'm saying this, people think I just want them to feel sorry for me, which is not the point. It's just, it's really hard to make yourself believe that. I think sometimes you can find very specific points that help you. And we're in that weird age of our 20s, you know, when like our friends are getting married and having kids. And what yeah. I found, um, which will probably surprise a lot of people that know me personally, the, the point that I found that I want to continue working on myself and kind of deal with that guilt is I have a niece now and mm. I'm thinking of like children really learn from by example right so I'm kind of like mm -hmm. when she's 16 18 what am I gonna tell her like wh what have I am gonna show her when it comes down to that like when I was bad I didn't get the help I could have gotten because of some imagined guilt that didn't influence anyone else but myself so and you, you know it can be that it can be that you have a very, you're very passionate about your job and you need to feel good to be doing your job well. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, especially, uh, especially um, <laughs> important for people that are like um, activists. Like sometimes if you can't do things for yourself just to start, it's good to find someone else you will do the thing for until you get to that yeah. point that you can do it just for yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. L little step by little step it's if you've been someone that was used to being like super selfless and that let's say for the sake of what you've just said that like a, a lot of their self-worth was determined by like validation of others and things like that overnight you're not going to be able to do things guilt-free and just do things for you but yeah finding little ways to again getting your brain used to whatever you have to do to get used to doing good by you and to treating yourself right do it and then eventually have the, as long as you have that self-awareness of like, yeah, okay, I'm doing this because it's going to benefit me, which is going to benefit others. As long as you've got that self-awareness and this is where the support can help with finding that self-awareness of, of knowing that 
that argument is helping me do it right now, but I need to know deep down that it's about me. You'll get, you'll get there eventually. Yeah. Guilt is like, it's not, it's not useful unless you've got something that you need to feel guilty for. It's just asking yourself sometimes what it's what I do. It's like, if somebody else was presenting this problem to me, would I think they should feel guilty? If the answer is no, done done because i'm not saying like don't ever feel guilt <laughs> you know some people should feel a lot of guilt wrong in my life yeah, yeah yeah some people should feel a bit more shame but you know most of the time i think especially when we're talking about mental well-being most of the time you can probably cut yourself some slack yeah <laughs> like but having said this i know yeah we're both saying this when it's something that we struggle with but that's why it's what we're saying repetition it's things that are good to hear and vocalize and say I think that sums it up cover. perfectly. Yeah, we've covered <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I don't even know how to summarize it. Take care <laughs> of yourselves. You matter. It's gonna be okay. And nobody's saying it's easy, but a lot of people can testify that it's worth it. It's gonna get better. I think that's the main thing. When you work it's for it, it get gets better. better. Yeah, if yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure to follow yeah, the for sure. On whatever for sure. Well, I mean, from. thank you for rating, all of your time. This has been no, it's been great. It's nice to like yeah, verbalize sure these. I feel like we're we're speaking to anyone as much as we're speaking probably to like which feels which feels good. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for for coming on. It's been a real real pleasure. And to anyone who's listened this far, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Juicy Conversations. If you don't already, make sure to follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform you're listening from. Leave a rating, leave a review just to let me know what you thought of this episode. And if you don't already, make sure to follow Juicy Conversations with Julie on social media platforms. Get in touch if you have any thoughts uh, about today's episode. If you want to talk about anything that we've discussed today on another episode. And I will catch you all very soon for another Juicy Conversation with Julie. Bye!